You're listening to the Board Game Snobs podcast, a ridiculous podcast with ridiculous hosts that discuss ridiculous things. And any mention of board games is purely coincidental. And so, without further ado, and with a heavy dollop of shame and embarrassment on my part, I give you the Board Game Snobs. the board game snob podcast this is jerry the titular host and now the perpetual disc jockey i've got the sound i'm running the sound now i'm the sound man i'm the rubber band man why why are you doing the sound because gobby when he when we're done with the show he unplugs all the cords and he throws them all in the box and he doesn't actually like do any cord management which cord management is very important so anytime he has to set up the mixers and everything, he's like, oh, my fingers, my big fat fingers can't plug stuff in. And he gets mad and he gets frustrated. So to stop him from doing that, I've been trying to help him and also teach him a little bit about chord management. Because if there's anything I like, they're good chords, not discord, chords. Get it? Call yeah. back to the previous episode. Why do you not manage your chords, God? I am on a roll. Why is it always a mess? I'm on a biscuit. Why is it always a mess when we go in your little box to dig out everything? What's in the box? Well, see, I'm, see, I'm when, doing what Gobby does and just yelling Jer- out vague references. <laughs> once Jerry shows me how he, because Jerry once told me he was taught how to properly roll a cord. And I did. I'm, and I'm anxious let to me, see. Let me show you here. No, well, you know, we're doing a podcast right now. I know, now. but here, I will describe it because I'm good at describing things. Oh, my God. So, do you take this cord here? <clears throat> Discord. Look, please stop. It's not funny. This it's is very serious. So I'll, well, so it, I'll let be sure and bang sh- on everything possible around you. Sh- please. <laughs> they can't hear it over your constant interruptions. So I'm going to describe this to our listeners. So I'm holding a roughly a three foot long cord right now. What kind of cord is this? Is well, that's today? at least five feet. This is not five feet. And so as you're uh, rolling the cord, mm-hmm. uh, you gently hold one between your thumb and index finger. That's kind of a caress. And the other one with the other index finger, like you would hold a small bird. Okay. Lightly. Pinch. It's like a pinch. Firmly. But yes, pinch. Okay. And then as you're rolling the cord, you're rolling it in between your index finger and the thumb. So, so that it can roll? Yes. You're rolling it into the natural, with the grain, as they would say. Mm-hmm. And you're wrapping it around your other three fingers on your non-dominant hand. And then slowly running your hand down the cord again, twisting that way. Well, I mean, who else? What are the, what, what, I don't, there's no other way to do it. I mean, this is. It's pro- going to naturally roll in its proper form. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, unless you just do the whole around your hand and elbow thing. Which, no. When you do that, it twists inside the cord. Yeah, and the little fibers inside. Well, I let it take I, its own proper form. No, you don't. None of your, not, not well, any no, those are just those I just toss in a box. Exactly. You toss all these cords in the box. You have never rolled a cord. I roll cords all the time. Where? I've, how many episodes? 244 podcast episodes. I've never I've seen one of your cords. Cord. This cord has never. You've Discord? Never, you've never rolled any of these cords. Those cords? Listen. 
you know how you treat your chords. Uh, with disdain. And, and if you will treat your chords. Discord disdain. Cook. He's the worst Dane. Great Dane. Peter the Great. Petersburg. Erfurt disaster. Call Listen, back. nobody cares about any of that. That was the that was a terrible, terrible hey, banter. Episode. Do you know what this is? And a haircut? Hey, I did not know that. I watched Roger Rabbit. It's called you know what it's called, Enrique? I do not. Shave. Shave and a and haircut. haircut. Shave two and bits. Did you know two bits? Yeah. That's how much it cost. How many times have you done that knock, Enrique? I've never done that knock. That I know of. You've never done that knock? No. Do you know people who do that knock? Not that I know of. How many times are you going to keep knocking like that? I just want to make sure it gets hurt. You can't come in. Please don't. But It's called shaving a haircut. Two bits. Why? But mostly shaving a haircut. Is there a reason most why? Because most people just do the first part. Yeah, see, I want to do the two bits. Hmm. Why? Okay, so I was watching a sitcom. And I had the closed captioning on, and the person is called The Neighborhood with Cedric the Entertainer. And they knocked on the door, and it goes, and it said, shave and a haircut. And I was like, is that the name of the knock? Sure enough, I did not know a knock had a song, had a title. What are you checking now on your he, phone? He's looking up to the phone, Jerry goes. You're so addicted to your phone, Jerry. First off, why are you being so meta? Secondly, because <laughs> this is what you do to me. Anytime I pick up my phone and you say I'm addicted to it, and you say it's my whole personality. I haven't looked at it this whole podcast. Uh, that's because not- you printed everything out. The, the shave and a haircut. Two bits. This is very odd. Go ahead. It Go appears ahead. it's a song. As the song, song says, a shave and a haircut in early Cumberland County barbershops cost a quarter or two bits. <laughs> Let's see. Barbershops became predominant around 1830. Uh, the barber pole was out questioning significant advertising. Yeah, but it doesn't say where the shave and a haircut thing come from. Like, it, why is this knock? It's a seven-note musical call and response composite. Hmm. I don't understand. What? Well, why is it? Why is this a thing? People use it in a tuner rhythm, for example, as a person clapping. It should yeah. be this, right? Yeah, it's just a note. But where did it come from? Oh, why? Ha- why do we do it? Probably prohibition. It's like they knew they could go in there and get some liquor. It's like, hey, give me the knock, dun 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 dun, and then they were to respond, dun dun. Everything you say is racist. What do you mean? In other countries, the phrase "shave and a haircut" is used differently. For example, if the melody the melody is quite offensive in Mexico, in the Netherlands, it is used to describe someone leaving with the aim of not returning. You've shaving a haircut. You have single handedly. <laughs> Enrique, I'm sorry. Our friends to the north and the south. The term shaving a haircut is derived from Morse code. Oh. So it's like a long, then three shorts. Oh, an 1899 Charles High Hill song at a dark town cakewalk. Love reading from Wikipedia on air. While it wasn't until the 1939 song with Milton Berle, shaving a haircut. Milton Berle? Mm hmm. Milton Berle. There you go. That's the guy that does the cigarettes. Wow. Oh, it's Marlboro. My bad. That's his brother, Marl. Either way. I'm Milton. This is my brother, Marl. This is a... Uh, Burrow. 
Does that is that shaving a haircut two bits? I just want to inform the whole audience, and I guarantee many of our listeners are going to say, "I did not know that knock had a name." You're welcome, board game snobs. Did you knows? Not knows like on your face. Knows as you put your phone down. I did not are even look at it. No, I picked emails? it up. I picked it up. Emails. Oh, okay, do the yeah, emails, yeah, please. Okay, please. so. We're pretty far behind on our emails. I'm sorry. Troy Clohesse from Down Under, one of our good Australian listeners. He appreciates when I do that accent, as does Michael Langford. I'm sure he does. He says, I there, Snobsters. Just want to reach out and say hi. Reach out. Reach out and touch base. Depeche Mode. He says, it's been a couple of tough months. I'm not going to do the accent the whole time because that's offensive. It is offensive. <laughs> Teaching gets harder every bloody. Okay. See, now he puts a bloody in there and I feel like I got to do it. Is he teaching? Teaching gets out of every bloody year. Was he teaching? And just life in general. Was he just, teaching? He did not say. Boomerangs. No, that is racist. <laughs> Can you, you I, Okay. First of all, how do you teach boomerangs? Have you ever thrown one? Are you talking about teaching students to throw? Because you said, what is he teaching? Boomerangs. Boomerangs. Yes. He can teach about boomerangs. He's not teaching a boomerang. I didn't imply that. Nobody thought that. As if that. it's sentient. Nobody thought that there were sentient boomerangs. <laughs> <laughs> he was taught, I was referring to how boomer throw one. The sentient boomerang comes back. I know that every time you call me. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? How about that? You pushed me to make a stupid joke. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Troy, I'm going to do the voice. I can't help it because you put bloody in here and you're Australian every bloody year. That's a curse word, isn't it? Yeah. This I is a know. rated R podcast. And just life in general just seems to weigh me down the older I get. Troy. This is getting sad. I haven't really been able to get much to the table lately, but hopefully as the school year draws to an end, I'll get to. And if I'm honest, I haven't really been up to much listening in the last couple of months. So I admit I feel a little like a newbie staring in the shop window. Then he talks about how he's listening to our most recent episode, but most recent as of November. So let me go ahead and read it because he has a question. He says, I listened to your most recent episode last night and have resolved to work my way back through all what I've missed. I've been thinking about questions or topics for your show. And an obvious one is. How do you get time slash motivation slash partners to get games to the table? And what do you recommend for someone who has been out of touch for a while? I feel this because I have felt this when uh, Jerry was really super busy. We've been able to kind of get back on a schedule now. And it's tough. How do you get time, motivation, or partner? So that's really three different things, even though he put them in the same thing. How do you get time? You have to schedule it. If the schedule falls to the wayside, you just have to try to schedule again. Or become a solo gamer or board game arena, which is not the same thing, but you can still sometimes play with people you know. We have lots of listeners in our Board Game Snobs Guild on Board Game Arena. So the Board Game Arena, they're solo gaming, they're scheduling. That's time. How do you get motivation? Here's my thing with motivation. Sometimes I lack it, and I lack it when I don't play games. But as soon as Jerry comes over and we get in the groove again, then my motivation, and I'll say motivation kind of just goes with the love of the, the, the hobby, the hobby. I really hate that phrase. The love of gaming. 
as soon as I get in the groove and we play a few games, I'm, I played Vidiculture the other day with Mike and Chris. I'm like, it's still a solid game. This is a classic. I enjoy this. I enjoy gaming. So really, it's just getting back in the groove of gaming. How do you get partners? Now, that's the tough part. How would you suggest someone gets partners from for gaming? Other than knowing someone that... I, like, I, I stumbled across you because of Bubba. You had Enrique. Before that, I played Catan with my brother-in-law, but that's all they want to play is Catan. They've not really dove deep into it like I did. How do you get partners? I would just social media. There's like meetup groups. There's things you can do online to find local gaming groups. Depends on how big a city you live in. Like here where we live, there's nothing. You'd have to go to Dallas. That's 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 the toughest one to me. Enrique. Yes. What would you do? Mm. Time, motivation, and partners. Seeing that board games are more of a physical interaction, almost. Right, all of our board games are very physical. Yeah, and seeing that I'm more of a gamer myself on video games. But if you wanted just people, like, just people to just talk to, be interactive with, yeah, you would have to go to the big cities where board games are probably a little bit more... Um, more prominent in that area. And I, I would agree with that. And so the the whole thing about just finding someone to game with, I, I think would just fall into how do you meet people in general? And so I was fascinated. And of course, I recommend you, Troy, to listen to our mega game that me and Enrique attended at Board Game Geek Convention uh, episode, where we talked about a mega game that we played at the convention. To me, that would be a perfect place to start because... Something of that nature occurs once a month down in like Dallas. So I would sign up to something that is board game adjacent, some event of that nature. And then that's where you're going to meet people and kind of, you know, you're you're going to be able to find someone, especially in areas. I don't know about Australia in terms of what a local board game shop would be around there. But often you're going to run into people there that, you know, perhaps you could kind of form your own group with. That's how I got into painting was I went into a random board game shop in Oklahoma City, and they didn't have a whole lot of board games. They were more like a Magic the Gathering den, but the guy that ran the place painted, and he kept showing me all of his minis, and I was just inquiring about them, and he was showing me like before and after, and this is this what it looked like before and so forth. And it, it kind of struck me that this is something that is not that hard to do, and I got into it simply because some random guy was showing me all the minis that he had painted. And I thought this seems very calming. And so you, you can kind of just, you know, arbitrarily get into a hobby. But at the same time, it's hard to seek out to find people. Uh, I mean, you just have to look for people in the same ways that you normally would just get to know anybody. Different types of events and things of that nature. So local board game shops, I would say, would be be an easy, easy round. Like. And the other easy one is probably, well, not as easy, but it can be, depends, is just a game, like the mega games. Mm -hmm. That's another way to just meet people. At a board game convention. 
And not even at a board game convention. I think the mega game that we attended is its own separate, uh, right. It's own separate event every month. Yeah, and right. so the, you know, there, there's, there's options like that, but I think that also, and I like solo gaming. So of course that's something that I've, I've, you know, that I've always have that, but I think that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think taking a break from board gaming makes you appreciate it all the much more. Like there's these ebbs and flows of we're gaming all the time, we're doing this, and now we're, we're kind of away from it. You're taking a hiatus. And yes, I enjoy board games quite a lot, but I thoroughly enjoy the break that I take from them, if that makes sense. I, I think it it makes me appreciate them all the more so. Uh, our next episode, we're going to talk about Nemesis Lockdown. And I had not painted in like two years, but I was motivated and i just said it in my my mind we're going to play nemesis this date i knew i had so many weeks to get it done and i just started painting and as soon as i started it was just a constant flow of just chronically wanting to paint and enjoying it the entire time and so this idea of motivation which i've often joked about i don't feel like exists because people look at it backwards they think you get motivated and then you do something. That's not how it works. The mo- that, that does not exist. Nobody's ever been motivated to do anything. But but I was, I was, I was motivated, motivated and I just said it in my, in my mind. We're going to play Nemesis this day. I knew I had so many weeks to get it done. And I just started painting. I was motivated. I was motivated. That is just a joke that people tell you to sell books. You do something, you start it, and then the motivation comes. The thing that you're wanting to feel to, to, to get you to start to do something is just that brief bit of passion that you might have for a project. It's the, it's the want or the, the imagination of what something could be. The motivation comes after you start it. And so if you're just going to sit around and wait for, you know, to feel like, to feel like you want to play a board game, that will never come. It just won't. You have to set the time and say, I'm going to punch this game out. I'm going to sit and read the rule book. And that just kind of just segues into everything else. The Once you get in motion, you do not stop. And so that would be my thing is just set a date. What, what day you're going to plan and you're going to play this game on this day or you're going to read the rule book on this day. You're going to punch this game on this day, whatever it might be, and just do that. And that generally leads into bigger and better things. I, I I agree. Motivation is fleeting, especially like trying to lose weight. Everybody's it's like anybody you talk to that has some sort of knowledge on weight loss and fitness is like their motivation is fleeting. You got to have discipline and uh, all that stuff. And you just force yourself to do these things and get in a routine. But I do get motivated even when I've been the ebbs and flows are there. There are times when I have zero interest like if I don't game or watch anything or am into gaming or inundate myself with gaming, the longer I go without it, the less I care. But then I'll eventually listen to a board game podcast. And it when they start talking about, oh, and then we did this and this happened. And, and it does. Mo- I'm like, it motivates me to want to play again. I can listen to podcasts that will discuss a game and it does make me want to play as far as a, a recommend that he said, what do you recommend for someone's been out of touch for a while? I'd say just 
I, I don't know. Uh, my thing was uh, play a game that you really enjoy. And if you have a chance to get a couple people together, just play it. Unless you want to rebut something on there, I'll go to his next thing. I rebut everything. He says, I uh, like big butts. <laughs> Let's see. I cannot lie. He says he was talking about some. Troy Hesse. I'm trying to rhyme that with Troy Hesse. I can't. Sorry. <laughs> he was trying to. He's talking about people he listens to and reviewers he listens to and watches. And he says uh, there's one guy he t- listens to that is a completely independent reviewer, unlike some channels that are paid to have an opinion. I was wondering what your take on this is. Is this a common occurrence? Do publishers use review- reviewers as a way to flog new games? Absolutely. But not that there's anything wrong with that. If you get paid to not review. Now, that's a whole different thing. There are people that do paid previews. And that's just like where they show the game. Like, this is how the game plays. I personally don't have an issue with that. You get yours, bruh. That's what I say. Uh, if they paid me to say, to set up a game and say, this is to basically do what Rodney does of watch it played. This is how you play this game. Perhaps if it's coming to Kickstarter, if what I have just showed you here is of interest to you and they paid me to do that, I see nothing wrong with that. Now, if I put in my opinion and said, this is a great game. The problem is, I think people insinuate that or infer that, imply whatever the proper term is there for people when they do that. Like, if I'm going to show you this game, then I must not have a problem with this game. I must kind of like this game. But that's a uh, customer issue. You know what I'm saying? So you think just because somebody does a preview that automatically implies that they like the game? Uh, No, no. exactly. customers feel like that. Some may think, okay, since he's doing this, he must like this game. 100%, they may not. They're just doing it for the money to get paid. You get it. It's what I say. Go get yours. But you may have to deal with the fact that people do think you're just a shill. That's that's just going to happen in the board gaming community because it happens. This conversation is constant, pretty much. Well, I have I have thoughts regarding this. Well, I, you know, I he don't. asked the question, so uh, there you go. Is it, so is it, convey your thoughts. What it, now? Repeat the question there at the beginning part. Okay. Like, is it is it people being paid to do reviews? Well, th- he does. See, I don't know if he meant to say this. Okay, so he says, and he listens to this guy, three minute board games. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's from New Zealand, so you might not understand the accent. I know him. Anyways, in his latest video, as of November twenty second. He does a top 100 countdown, but stresses at the start that all the opinions are his own. If you're doing a top 100 countdown of your own games, why would they be anybody else's? That's weird to me. But he is completely an independent reviewer, unlike some channels that are paid to have an opinion. Now, I don't know if this reviewer said that or if Troy's adding that on. Oh, I get his point. I get his point. So so he's not sponsored by anybody. Correct. So that's, that. is... that is uh, Not like this podcast brought to you by... Well, uh, AEG. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. So you you run the risk of, you know, publishers sending you games and they're saying, OK, so that's that's why people are motivated now to give these reviews. And I would I would argue 
that the most unbiased views that you are going to get are coming from reviewers who are providing a service by buying the games themselves, rejecting the copies that they're giving, being given, and they're giving their completely unadulterated opinion. They're they're not motivated in the least that they're going to say something that's going to upset somebody. And thus, they have no motivation to kind of give a lukewarm opinion on a game that they really don't like so that the company will keep sending them copies ahead of time. So, yes, I feel like that that is a very valuable opinion. And there's a lot of reviewers that are like that. And I mean, not a lot. But there, there's the ones that I tend to listen to and respect do just that. And so I think that that is a. I think there's a line that you cross when you begin doing paid previews. Because, previews. Right. Okay. Because the paid previews are confusing. Mm-hmm. And there have been in the past many reviewers, because I know, because I've done it, bought games from people thinking that this was a legitimate review when really it was just a paid preview. They are, they are receiving money. They put a P on there. To do this display and they talk about this game that they really like without saying that they don't really like it. Well, I don't know if they don't really like it or not. But well, this- like, someone can say that they like this game, but there might be some disagreements on what they're paid to, to say. Right. Right? And so, you, you really do have to, to watch that whole thing because, one, it does confuse the listeners. As much as I'd like to say, oh, they sh- they shouldn't, people should pay attention and know better. Do I think there's anything wrong with doing paid previews? Absolutely not. Uh, I greatly appreciate like someone like Rodney Smith, who does not do any reviews whatsoever. The only review that I ever heard that man gave, gave, was give, in person. Was in person. I was a whiskey sour deep, and I ambushed him in the hallways of a board game convention, convention and pressed Rodney to tell me what his favorite game was, and he would not do it until I hugged him. And that was the price I paid. He did not ask for a hug. I gave him a hug, unfortunately, and it was unsolicited. And then he t- very... Mm, gotta get you canceled. It almost did. But he told me what his favorite game was, and it stuck with me because I thought I would have never have guessed. He was like, give him a person close. He kept screaming, oh, no. And I thought, what? No. But, but, but anyways, it was odd. But he, 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 he skims that line where he's not going to do a review because he's getting paid to teach the game. And it's very clear. He's going to teach games he doesn't like. He's getting paid Mm -hmm. to teach this game. Mm -hmm. And so I do appreciate reviewers that are very clear that they are giving you an opinion. They are not attached or sponsored by anybody. And they are just giving you their opinion. And those people are quite valuable, in my opinion. And those tend to be the ones that I, when I'm wanting to, when I get back into the passion of board gaming and I want to see what the new hotness is, those are the ones I tend to look to. Uh, and not anybody who has a fancy camera or, or is sponsored by somebody or, or, or who's really trying to be in this business. Because it is a business. Oh, yeah. And I've said it time and time again. If you're going to make this a business, then you have to run it like a business. And then you have to do certain things. And paid previews is one of them. So, I don't knock. And I will make this clear, Troy. Or who's that? Was that Troy that wrote the email? Mm-hmm, Troy. If 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 somebody calls us up tomorrow and says, Jerry and Gabby, we want to pay you to do a preview. Yes. yes. Do you what what do you want? <laughs> we will sell out immediately. 
Why? I like money. Uh, yes. I'll, yes. Yeah. Uh, we will do it. And we will and we'll say. Now, would I lie to the audience and say I like to gain this bad? No, but we'll no. preview it and we'll do the same stupid jokes and we'll skirt so, that line. Well, here's the and thing. And then when we're done, we'll take that money and we're going to buy some more Evan Williams and then we'll do the show and we'll continue on. Here's the thing with something you said Thank earlier. Thank God nobody looks to us for reviews. <laughs> so, well, that's the thing. It's like, so you're talking about a person that reviews games and is sponsored by certain companies. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one thing. A paid preview, generally, almost everybody I know of is very upfront. They say it, they put it in writing, they put it on YouTube, and they don't give an opinion. They just do a playthrough. Correct. Now, there might be some out there. I don't, there's but, thousands and thousands of content but, creators. Hold on, real quick. I was just going to say so the, the issue that you fall into, we've been sent review copies by people we like. By people we like. Who we the, find very attractive. I mean, any people that are, are nice. Very attractive publishers. Like, what are you talking about? I, why talking. are you acting like you don't know, know what I'm talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. You do know. You you will not shut up about Are you talking how, about the games are attractive? Um, yeah, I'm talking about how you're always talking about how Chad Elkins lives. <laughs> you won't <laughs> shut up about he's him. very muscular. He is muscular. Okay, but this here's the thing. Here's the... And this is... He's got some 25th century pecs, <laughs> is what you said. And I, 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 it made me uncomfortable. No, the things you said about Chad. You're trying to get me canceled no. for things I did not say. You, okay, go ahead. So here's the here's where it gets weird for me. So they send you. <laughs> uh, this is where they send you. Okay, what was that pirate game we hated and we said we hated it? It was a pirate plunder game with the, you reset the time thing and it's like a reset. I have no idea. Time pirates. Oh yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> that was the absolute worst game I've ever there, played there was in a, my life. There was a board game we got sent as a review copy. We hated it. We said that on the podcast. I don't know that we've been sent another copy of games from that company. I would understand that. Here's the thing. What ha- tends to happen is when someone, you have, like, say, 25th century games sends us some games. If Chad sends us some games, what's easy to do is the games you don't like that suck, you just don't talk about them. Can I remind you of something here? Yeah. I want to remind you of something. So, we did this episode already where... Chad sent us a game. We played said game, and I said, "This game's okay. It's it's I'm, it's it's Middle Road. I like it." And mm-hmm. you really didn't like it, and you were panicked about saying something to offend. Chad. I know, and, and that's the and weird we did part. the episode, and you went hard, <laughs> very hard. Like you were like, we played the game, and you were like. I really don't like this. And I'm like, well, I kind of, that's Miller Road. I kind of enjoyed it. It's fine. You remember and the game? I do. I don't know. I'm afraid to say it, but it was called Space Explorers. I hated Space Explorers. And you, but what was funny is that before the podcast, you were super nervous and you were saying, I don't want to say anything. I shouldn't say it. But as soon as, as soon as we turned the mics on, you were like, just. Well, and I think. But yet. You want to be, and, then, okay, and well, here, here comes. I'm the, trying to give you a compliment. You well, had a little bit of integrity okay, that you. episode. Well, I appreciate that. It's like that. episode 60. <laughs> you lost it all time ago. way back Look. then. So the moral conundrum is: Do you just not talk about the game you received that they sent you as a review copy and say it sucks? I'm sorry. So here's what the secret cabal does: They don't review games they don't like. And they have made that very clear. And I listened to them back in the day when I first got into board gaming and was going, 
every game and it puzzled me because like every game they talked about they loved they featured it and i'm like what do they not do negative reviews and then they made the comment once like we review games we like so if you send us a game and we don't like it we're not going to review it and i thought what a that's a great idea like you do not have to if if it if it's not a six or above or whatever whatever you want to say it is whatever the modular score you want to give it that it's something you don't want to review then just don't do it. And I'm sure that the the companies appreciate it because you don't rag on it right. if it's not your forte. And also, your audience knows that even if they, you know, they want to listen to your podcast, they can, but they can read the title and go, oh, they're reviewing this. They must think it's decent. So you kind of already know what you're getting into. I think that's a good idea, too. So, but I, I'm, I'm digressing. I'm going to digress just a little bit because Enrique's about to start talking. And I'm really afraid what he's about to say because it's been building up. And I'm okay. Go ahead. I, I feel like the games do need to be ragged, and like the company itself needs to be ragged on just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because if someone it, reviews a game and they just don't like the game, and there's a bunch of people who agree with this opinion, the company is going to try to at least. I guess. Make more of the same. Not make more of the same game that they didn't like. It's that quality control almost. Yeah, quality control. Like if the majority of people just don't like the game, they're going to try to do something better with it. And and so here's here's the point that I think Enrique's getting along the same edge of where I want to go with this. And I will hard merge this into the game San Francisco that you made me play. Which... Again, it was another one of those games. It's Reiner Knizia, so that's one box check for me. The artwork looks very nice. The components looked really good. Everything about this game had me fired up. I have my own board. I'm going to be building and managing constructions and contracts and getting cards and laying these cards. And I'm like, this is, I was foaming at the mouth when we're setting this game up. But you had told me before we even played this game, you hated this game. This game sucks. And you, Which I probably shouldn't do. I should let you make your own adjustment. Well, no, but no. When you said that, I thought, well, wait a minute. Why does it suck? And you told me very specifically. And of course, I thought, well, I'll, let's see. And as soon as we started playing, I realized, oh, you're right. This 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 was very obviously a very simple game. It has a very nice premise, but the main mechanism in it does a. I'm shocked that Reiner would make a game like this because one of the core principles of game design that I've heard more and more designers talk about, about players missing your turn. You do not ever let a player miss a turn. And I remember very clearly back when I was kind of dabbling in game design and learning about it, not that I thought I could ever design a game, but listening to various designers, one of them said, the guy who designed a game called Guillotine, after it had come out and that was a well-known game, he came out and said, look, this card, you need to get rid of it because it costs the player their turn. It messes up their turn and it basically makes you skip a turn. And he went on about how that is a core principle in modern game design. You don't ever cost somebody their turn. And you will notice that used to be something that happened a lot back in the old days of board game design. Sorry or anything like that. You never do anything that f- that that... Forces the players to do this one thing. Mm. San Francisco, your main complaint that you said was like, some turns, there's nothing to do. You literally just pick a card and then choose where to place it. And that placement really does not matter. Mm-mm. And I go, that doesn't sound right. 
Reiner wouldn't do that. Well, well, yes, Reiner did do that. He did. This was very, and numerous times, I'm watching us play this game. I'm looking at him going, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, you literally are just picking up a card and laying it down. I would say almost 30% of the time. And it was shocking. You don't have a turn to take. It was you very. You just pick up a card and put it out. Very, very shocking. And I thought, oh. And can I say real quick, may I interrupt real quick? I believe it's probably guillotine. I said guillotine? You said guillotine. Do you say tortilla? Tortillas? There you go. Uh, well, it's the guillotine of merchant explorers, <laughs> of all the testicleless merchants and ge- explorers of San Francisco. Uh, yeah. It, Is Reiner Canizia a good designer? That's a discussion that's for a, a future another podcast. Topic, but, but yeah, this is a- On this game? No. This game. Now, what I would like to talk about uh, before I get off on the San Francisco thing, which we just played, obviously hate this game. Enrique bringing up about how- you want the, you want companies and publishers to be reactive to what what is good and what is bad. A trend, and you do that with your money. So mm-hmm. if you keep buying rolling rides, they're going to keep mm-hmm. making rolling rides. Mm-hmm. This is this not going to stop. They're che- they're cheap and easy to make. That's go- why they, they keep making. It's them. going to happen. So the same thing is true. The board game industry as a whole is blown up. There's way too much money in it, and there's way it has drowned out the quality. If they're releasing 3,000 games a year and the vast majority of them are just reskins of previous games from other years, you're just doing that to crank games out. I would rather buy crank that five games a year that are really, really good. Top notch. Rather than buying three or four a month so I can hit the $100 mark and get free shipping and they come and none of them are any good. They're they're, Or they're fine. Fine. To me, I don't... It's gotten to where I can tolerate a certain level. Fine or good, those are not the same, obviously, but these these games that are just the same reskin, the same thing, over and over and over, has gotten... Incredibly boring. Hello, Roland Wrights. And so you, you you respond as a consumer by not taking it, mm-hmm. by not buying it. And that sends the signal, this is what we want. And you support games that you really think are good, that are really, really good. And you blow those games up and you talk about those games. And you, you, you I, I told you the other day. You should receive a commission for how many copies of Royals you have sold. Absolutely fantastic game. Everybody that I know that has come to your home and played Royals has purchased Royals. Nobody ever heard of Royals. No. I don't know what the deal is on that. It's fantastic. But but it's an entry-level game. It's a step above Ticket to Ride. it's, It's Perfect for saying, you like board games, we're going to play this. This is a little different. This is how it works. Set collection, you know what that is. Mm -hmm. It's got this kind of weird drab theme, but we're going to, but come along with it. Some stern Europeans on the cover. I love stern Europeans. My, who's your favorite stern European? Howard. Howard who? Stern. No. No. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? He's not European. You don't think he is? No, he's not. I bet his family comes from somewhere. He's not. No? He's not. European. European? Favorite Enrique's Google. My favorite European. Stern European. Uh, It'd be a a hard merge between Dan Hughes, Ben Maddox, and Richard Simpson. 
Those are my favorite Europeans. Dan's gotten older. He can be pretty stern when he's cranky and grumpy. Richard's too nice to be stern. Ben Maddox can be stern in his opinions. I was thinking more of actors, which would be Ben Maddox and Ben Maddox. Oh, I've been watching the Great British Baking Show. Paul Hollywood, very stern on his judgments. I would like, here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's what I want. I want a board. I want a show about board games. We're like Ben Maddox hosts, but he does like his best. Um, the the cook, the guy from Hell's Kitchen, Ramsey, 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 where he basically just yells and curses at people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure how it's board game connected. It could be board game design or just teaching. I don't know, but something of that nature where people are playing board games or learning board games, and it's just Ben Maddox. Throwing insults at them till they cry. He can do it. That would be fun. He hurls them at me all the time. He would, that would be fun. Actually, no, that's Dan. Here's my thing. We're going to have another discussion. We have several discussions lined up. We have many. On language used when talking about board games. I heard San Francisco described by a prominent podcaster. It's very prominent. As Terrific. And they like to say absolutely fantastic about almost everything. When you use terminology like that on almost everything. Your credibility, it, credibility is not very great. It, it just waters it down to like, okay, so fantastic means mediocre. Basically. Yeah. If everybody's fantastic, nobody's fantastic, right? Mm, yeah. So it's just... Uh, Terminology is important in San Francisco by Reiner Knizia sucks. Okay. So in the game, like I mentioned briefly, you do have your own player board and you're just drafting cards, but you're drafting cards from this little tableau where you're drawing a card off the top of the deck and you're placing it in one of these three slots. And then the next player, they're drafting a card and laying down. They're picking up a card and laying it down. And you can decide, okay, I'm going to build all these cards. But when you build all these cards, you take a contract. And you can only build or take cards from this tableau if there's more cards than you have contracts. It's very simple. And it's very beautiful. It's It should be a good game. But when I'm playing this, I'm wondering, this game is way overdone for such a simple game and the main mechanism is just not there and what upsets me about all this and this is to Enrique's point when people play games like this not your point because your point was not on point games like this take away from good games and games that do what this does incredibly better and so What's fantastic? Absolutely fantastic. Is a game, not this, but a game that I have now blanked on because you gave me... Sprawlopolis. Sprawlopolis, thank you. By Buttonshy. By Buttonshy is the game you want. Because as we're playing this and I'm going, this game needs to be Sprawlopolis because Sprawlopolis is... You take a card, and it's a solo or cooperative game, and it's incredibly well done because it's a wallet game, game. 
And all you're doing is laying these cards on top of each other or off to the side and just kind of displaying them out and designing your own wait, wait, little... Wait, wait, yes, you're splaying. Oh, okay. You, have you ever splayed? Uh, no, you, I, don't, I didn't know that. You, you, I heard this. Well, why? Splay. Fly. Splay. You've never splay. splayed? Oh, I've splayed. You've dealt splay. I splay every day. You don't. I'm a splayer. You don't spread out. Don't hate the game. Hate the splayer. You should. You better explain that to me. Explain that to you. Explain it. That's not. That's not. Anyways, Sprawlopolis is the game that you want. Splayopolis. Because it's very not only they missed that. It should have been Splayopolis. They should have. But Sprawl. That's true. Because that's recalls back to a city. I got you. Not only is this game just better well designed, the solo aspect of it is great, and the cooperative of it. I don't. I hate cooperative games. I, there's very few cooperative games I like. Sprawlopolis is exceptionally good as a cooperative game. And here's what gets me: this game, because of the designer mm-hmm. and everything about it, will be held as fantastic. The doctor, and nobody will pay attention to the game that really does deserve the attention. Sprawlopolis. That to me is a similar theme, much better. In the way it's 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 presented, and just ah, that's what upsets me the most. And Button Show, you can buy you can probably buy Sprawlopolis for like 10, 15 bucks. Yeah, you can. And so that's that gets me, and that's what I don't like when the so you have the big name, the big game that's going to overpower a small game with a small name, but the small game is superior. Correct. That's 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 that's, that's what, what irritates you. That's what irritates me is when we have games that are obviously they're obviously better. Show over substance. But we keep making stuff. Like this game has little towers, little buildings. Mm-hmm. They're really cool looking. Really nice production on this game. You remember that game that had really cool towers that was by Gilhova that I purchased? Uh, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. called to be this. Uh, I believe a certain reviewer said it was this generation's monopoly. Do you even remember the dame? I don't. Does anybody play that game? No. Did I lose my ever-loving mind when we bought it and played it? And I said this was one of the worst games ever. I was so upset by this game. and But for a moment... In the board game genre, and I have never seen that game at a convention. It's got an expansion coming out. I have never seen anybody play this. It is a horrific game, poorly designed, and it upsets me because Gilhova made a wonderful game. High Rise. I hate that game. With a passion. Hate Rise. Hate. From Jerry. Your hate is rising. The Networks. Networks fantastic. Yes, Gilhova. Don't we? We like half half your games at least between. I don't know any other games that he. (laughs) Apparently, he's done Battle Merchants, Wordsy, the Rival Networks, Prolix. I guess I don't know those. He has eighteen games listed on Board Game Geek. I know none of. I know the networks. All right, so we went Troy Clohassy. I hope you're happy because our whole podcast was your email. Um, he actually asked. A couple other questions. But then he says, anyway, that's enough. Anyway, that's enough for now. It seems to a casual observer that you're like kicking some goes. Guest appearances, special guests, that Patreon filter lucre. Lucre. That's like money. What? Lucre. Lucre. L-U-C-R-E. Never heard of that until just, really? just, just now. Just lucre. Filthy lucre? You 
never heard of that? No. What does I it mean? Money. Really? L U C R E. Never heard of it. Just wanted to let you know that little guys are still here before you fully sell out. Take care, guys, and thanks for the funny. It would, it would, it would. I would lose my mind if we had him on the show, and, and he, he sounded exactly just like that. that. <laughs> so that that would that would kill me. Absolutely kill hey me. There, guys, it's me, True Clancy. Thanks for having me on. He does. <laughs> okay, I don't. That's probably <laughs> offensive, but I absolutely love doing the Australian <laughs> accent. It's like, and even when I try to do an English accent, it always morphs into the Australian accent. Unless I do a proper British accent. Hello, my name is Gobin. How are you doing today? But anyway, I prefer the Australian accent. I love those guys, the way they talk. That may be more New Zealand right there. Some Sam Neill there. Sam Neill there. That wasn't Sam Neill. That was the guy off the. Watch out for the T Rex. That's definitely New Zealand. Flight of a Concord? Yeah, the, the, the manager. The, the manager. Man. Whatever his name is. Oh, no, no. Uh, 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 I love that guy. Oh I can't God. think of his name. I can't name. think of his name. Welcome to Jumanji. <laughs> Welcome to Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we've got to get to Nemesis Lockdown on our next episode. And we have many, we have many conversations about the importance of words. Words. <laughs> Is Reiner Reiner Knizia a good designer? That's going to be one of our episodes. Look forward to that. Until then. This is Jerry. I'm Gabby. Thank you for tolerating this episode of the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy. (laughs) 